Good evening. I was, uh, I was struggling on what to speak about tonight. And then um, on Monday morning, it's um, Val and I, our sort of uh, way of doing things is that we usually, at some point in the morning, mostly in the morning, we, we pray together. And often, uh, after we've had some time of prayer and we read the scriptures together, there's often a, a song that sort of comes to me, often random. And on Monday, I uh, found myself singing a song. Now, I'm told, I, I asked Alan, I said, can we sing this song tonight? And he said, he don't know. He just looked at me very blank. And he says, it's an old song. <laughs> and he said, no. Yeah. The song goes, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. So the only people who didn't know it were the musicians. <laughs> it's not that old. It's not that. Anyway, because it's, um, it's a verse of Scripture, as you know, it's one of those verses. The, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never fail to come to an end. It's one of those sort of fridge magnet ones, isn't it? But uh, very often, people don't know where it comes from. And I gave Alan and Jackie a, a chance this morning to tell me, but <sighs> Nick didn't know that either. <laughs> so I thought we'd, uh, we'd just have a look at the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, which is where this, that verse comes from. I thought uh, we'd read a few verses uh, just to get, get some sense of uh, what the Lamentation is about. The lamentation is about before we move on uh, to the, that particular verse. So I'm going to uh, just read uh, a few verses. Lamentations chapter three, verses one to nine, and then uh, then we'll uh, we'll move on to the latter part of the chapter. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again, all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. I'm moving on to verse 17. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is, God, is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his passions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. May the Lord bless those words to us as we think and talk about them in these moments. Lord, that you would speak into our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. So, not a book that we frequent very often, the book of Lamentations. Um, but, uh, as always, there's always something in there. The, the year is about uh, 586 BC. The nation of Israel has been taken into cavity, and now the city of Jerusalem is under siege by the Babylonians. Soon the walls of the city will be destroyed. The Babylonian army would plunder all the gold, the silver, the bronze items in the temple, and then they would destroy the temple itself. Many were killed. Others were taken into Babylon in captivity, and the rest would be left in Judah without anything. The whole society and the way of life was completely destroyed It's in that context that Jeremiah wrote these words. Not easy reading. Um, I'm not going to recommend that you go home and read the whole of the book of Lamentation. You'll you'll find it difficult. You can, little chunks of it, maybe, but it's quite hard. It's a, a difficult moment, it's a moment of crisis. And maybe that's why sometimes Scripture speaks to us in time, at times because th- things repeat themselves. We are in a time of crisis. Every week, it's something new. Every week, it seems that so much of life as we know it is being changed or undermined or crashing around us. We're looking at war, disease, the climate, Or this week, the the whole thing of the the cost of energy, the cost of living crisis. Um, Seems to be the most used word when we listen to the news at the moment. Crisis. And the question is, is in times of crisis, and I mean real crisis, what do we do? How do we react? How will our faith be affected? How will we go on? And that's uh, very much in my mind this week, not just because of all the things that are happening sort of around us, but because Val and I spent part of this week with a, with a dear friend whose life, as he knows it, has crashed around him. His ministry, his, his, his family life, everything seems to have crashed around him. And he was asking the big questions about his faith how he was going to get through this. He was asking some big questions in a very personal and a very real way. Where do we go when the very fundamentals around us are being shaken? The book of Lamentations, of course, is named after, the, it's about a book of laments. Lament being about crying, the word meaning to cry out loudly, a lament to cry out to God. Some of the psalms that we know are laments in, the, in various parts of the books, the pro- prophetic books, there are, there are portions of laments, but Lamentations is the only book that is entirely made out of laments. 
And these laments were real because they were facing this massive, massive crisis. And they weren't just uh, things that were jotted down or just cried out off the cuff. The book of Lamentation is quite an interesting book because it has a careful, poetic composition. Chapters 1, 2, and 4 have laments of 22 verses each, with each verse beginning with a different consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That must have taken some, some doing, wasn't it, to working that out? We read from chapter 3, which has 66 verses, because each set of three verses begins with the same consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So, the first three verses all begin with an A, the next three lines begin with a B, and, and so forth. These verses are not just um, a random crying out to God. This is a composed telling God, sharing how it feels, what, what's going on. It's a book that's full of heavy emotion, but it's so carefully composed. Maybe it's quite hard to hold them together. He doesn't actually tell us who wrote them, but we mostly believe that it was Jeremiah. And he prophesied for over 40 years that if God's people, people did not repent, that God would allow this, what had happened, these foreign armies, to conquer the land as what happened. As I said in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army come swooping in and conquered Jerusalem. It was a terrible time. And they destroyed homes and businesses and the temple. People starved. And Jeremiah wrote these verses to help those survivors to process the tragedy and to know that God was still there for them. Orthodox, Orthodox Jews still read this book annually, on the anniversary of the fall of the temple. In the Roman Catholic Church, they read it traditionally during the last three days of Holy Week. It's about saying it as it is, about processing the tragedy and knowing that God is still there. It's hard. In some one sense, it's hard for us to imagine you know, your homeland invaded your work and your house, your workplace, your house destroyed. But, you know, those in Ukraine, that's exactly what they're going through, isn't it? So perhaps it's not too hard for us today to imagine what that, that might be like. Everything in your life is now gone or turned on its head and the surviving citizens are enslaved by the conqueror's army, conquered, conquering armies and taken off to foreign lands how they must have mourned, how they must have lamented for themselves and for their nation. Lament is, as I say, it's a big thing in the Old Testament. As I said, many of the Psalms are lamenting but about what has happened and what has been lost. But it's something we don't do these days much of. Today, if something goes wrong or people get hurt or if there's a tragedy or a crisis, the reaction is not to lament what's happening. Often it's about asking the questions. And sometimes those questions are, why me? 
Why us? Why now? Or we try and find someone else to blame. It has to be the fault of somebody else. Or we say that somebody, and usually it's the government, should do something about this. That's often our response these days to a crisis. The last thing we do is spend time lamenting what has been lost or what has been changed. In a sense, I want to say, well, why not me? Why not us? We live in a broken world full of broken people where all kinds of bad things happen to all kinds of people. That's the reality. And it'd be good if we could just stop and lament the reality rather than ignore it. Because that's why Jesus came. The reality of what was going on, what is going on in our world, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And sometimes we want to skip over the reality. We want to skip over the crisis. You see this sometimes in grief, where where people get so tied up in the other questions that they don't spend the time lamenting and grieving properly. And it can be really unhelpful, really unhealthy. And to be honest, we can be really bad at that in the church. We too quickly want to move people on. When sometimes we need to stay with the pain, we don't always allow the reality of sadness and pain in life to be properly expressed. It can be easily shut down. Sadly, often with some fairly excruciating platitudes. Listen to the pain of Jeremiah's lament. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness in the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Lamenting is about recognizing the reality, seeing things as they are. Now, some of you are starting to wonder. Think, where, where is he going with this? This is, this is not what I, what I hear on an August bank holiday. This bit is a bit heavy and a bit miserable for us. But the point is, the biblical lamenting is never about wallowing in in misery. Because in verse 21, there's a little word. Yet, he says. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gore, I will remember them. My soul is downcast within me, yet. And I love that in Scripture, that often it's the little words, the tiny words, that change the whole thing. Yet, he says. It's not the long theological words that make the difference. Often the little ones. One of my favorite examples is in in Ephesians 2, where there's that sort of thing about being, you know, being dead in your transgressions and, and the life you used to live and the ruler of the spirit that's now at work in you is disobedient. All of us lived and all this gratifying the cravings of the flesh and all that sort of thing. And then it says, but, but, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich on in mercy, made us alive with Christ. But the little words and here we have the little word yet yet 
tells us that something can t- change. Yet, says that although we need to see things as they are, doesn't mean there's not a bigger picture. That there isn't something else. There isn't something better. Biblical lament is always in the context of hope. Always in the context of the bigger picture of God's story. The sorrows of the night give way to the joys of the morning. After the sunset comes the sunrise. After the crucifixion comes the resurrection. Jeremiah chooses to remember and lament what has been lost and in making a choice he finds hope. Yet, this I call to mind. That's his lament. This I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What do you call to mind, Jeremiah? He remembers five things over these next verses. Because he says, firstly, because the Lord's great love, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. The word for love there is in the plural. It's that, that word that um, I spoke about a few weeks ago, that, that wonderful Hebrew word, hesed. That's more than love. It's a word that encompasses love, grace, mercy, goodness, forgiveness, truth, compassion, and faithfulness all wrapped up in one. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a word like that in English that wrapped all those things up? Because of God's great love, because of his loving kindnesses, because of his loving mercies, we are not consumed. The word appears 250 times in the Old Testament. Well, can I say, I'm reliably informed. I have not actually counted them myself. 250 times across the Old Testament. And it tells us again and again that no matter how difficult things are, God's love is always greater. It tells us, as another song, a more modern song says, even when we're lost in the deepest valley, I'll fear no evil. Even when the silence falls around me, I know you hear me. Even when it feels like we are separated, you're holding on to me. Because of God's great love, we are not consumed. Secondly, he proclaims, for his compassions never fail. All else may fail, but not God's compassion. Again, the literal translation of these words read, not to an end come his compassion. Not to an end come his compassion. It's that eternal perspective that can easily go missing at times of trouble and crisis. The encouraging thing is that that friend who I was talking about early on, although it's hard for him right now to see where God's plan is for him, he said, I can still, I still hold on to the bigger plan. I still hold on to the greater purposes and love of God. That God's eternal plan for him was still there. God loves us and there's nothing we can do about it. God has great compassionate love for us that stands forever, always. 
Thirdly, he says that they are new every morning. Every day is a day of new hope with God. The morning brings a fresh start, a new beginning. The verse reminds me of, uh, of Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may remain for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Whatever we go through today, there's always a possibility of a new morning, a new start. They are new every morning. There's always the new day. And in that new day, God's love is renewed. Fourthly, he says, Great is your faithfulness. General, I get so excited here that he talks directly to God. Great is your faithfulness. Everything else has been addressed to himself or to others. Now he addresses God. Great is your faithfulness. Our own faithfulness wavers at times. But God's faithfulness never wavers. God always keeps his promise. And then fifthly, last but not least, he says, the Lord is my portion. Another good Old Testament word, the Lord is my portion. The word portion dates back to the, uh, the time when the, uh, when the Israelites entered the promised land and the 12 tribes of Israel were assigned their portion of land, their part of the promised land. We're told that the the tribe of the priests and Levites didn't get any land because God told them, you don't need that because I'll be your portion. I'll be your share. Here Jeremiah tells his people, you may have lost your land, your homes, your jobs, your temple, but don't worry about it. God will be your portion. Ultimately, what else do you need? So what is our role when hard times strike? Jeremiah concludes at the end of verse 24. Therefore, I will wait for him. Because of all these things that are true, because of these things that I've established, I therefore will wait for him. And he talks about how God is good to those who wait quietly for salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but... I will tell you, I'm not good at waiting. I hate queuing, waiting. But that's what we're told to do. But waiting doesn't have to be a passive, sort of fatalistic waiting. Guess I'll just wait and see if God can sort this out kind of attitude. No. God calls us to do things in the waiting time. He calls us to read. He calls, uh, he calls us to pray. He calls us to read his word, to offer encouragement to those who are suffering, to sit with those who mourn and lament and weep, to weep with those who are weeping, to watch for what God may be up to behind the suffering. Therefore, I will wait for him. Faith is not believing in our own unshakable belief. Faith is believing in an unshakable God. When everything in us trembles and quakes, we've all had our bad days, we've all had our bad times, our bad months, our bad years. I know some people who have bad decades, difficult times in life. And yet God is still on the throne. His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. 
great is his faithfulness. Our part is to, to trust him, to wait on him, to turn to him, to bring our pain and our suffering to him, to be real with him and with each other. In a moment we're going to share in communion. That first communion when Jesus shared with his disciples, he was just moments away from betrayal and arrest and torture and death and burial in a tomb. And yet he says, this is my body given for you. This is my hope. Communion reminds us that God indeed is faithful. Jesus says, take this to remember me. To remember Jesus' death, but also to remember he is alive. He's coming and he's coming again. reminds us of the faithfulness of God. His mercies never fail. Every morning they are renewed. Great is his faithfulness. Let's pray. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Help us to remember that not only when things are going, that, going well, but also when they're not. Help us to believe in you, even in the times of drought, of difficulty. Lord, may we know in the midst of our pain, our lament, of, of your faithfulness. Your never-ending love. your great compassion for each one of us.